Good morning. We're going to read a story from the Bible together. Uh, probably one of the most famous stories that there is in the Bible. Uh, a story that is up there with David and Goliath or Noah's Ark or the Good Samaritan in terms of how often and how regularly this story is told. Um, we're going to read from John chapter 6 verses 1 to 5, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, now, I would say that this is one of those stories like David and Goliath or the Good Samaritan or Noah's Ark that is told so often and heard so often that although we might know the content of this story and there's a good chance that you will either through Sunday school um, or even primary school um, or just repeated readings of it um, although we might know what the content is we might know what happens um, maybe we have long since forgotten or maybe we've never really actually in the first place really grasped what the whole point of this story is. I'm sure that I'm sure that you know what I mean. The more familiar that a story seems to be, the more likely we sometimes are to forget the actual meaning. And if I was to ask you to quickly turn to the person next to you on the couch or uh, next to you at home or text someone uh, that you know is watching along very quickly, three seconds, what is the point? What is the meaning of the story of the feeding of the 5,000? The first thing that springs to mind or maybe the, the end conclusion might be don't forget to take lunch wherever you go. And that is such, such an important message. I can't, I can't tell you strongly enough how important that message is. Don't go anywhere without your lunch. That's not the point of this story though, of course, and you know that as well. Um, as profound and as vital as that knowledge is, the, the importance of taking your lunch anywhere you go, it's not the point of this story at all. And so we're going to read uh, the whole point of this story uh, from John chapter 6. We're going to read, we're going to find out what the point is because it's, it's about so much more than just remembering to take your lunch. Um, so we're going to read John chapter 6 verses 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all he all when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, "Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted." So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Jesus, knowing that they intended to take to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now this this passage in chapter six, um, it it stands alone as a as a story, but really to to properly get the full picture of what's going on here, we should be reading the entirety of John chapter six. Um, these first 15 verses set up really what John is about to go on to say um, about what happened next. Because next week, Joel is going to talk us through the next few verses where Jesus walks on water. Um, and then Andy's going to take two weeks to finish off chapter six. And specifically, the bit that really kind of sums up um, the whole point of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, John is going to go on to share with us an account of Jesus setting his followers down and telling telling them that he is the bread of life. And that's where the real significance of the fact that this was Passover, this was the real significance of the, the bread and the fish, the feeding of people. Um, Jesus goes on to say that he is the bread of life. And in that, he simply means in me is all that you will ever need, all the provision you will ever need uh, spiritually. I will give you what you need. Um, it's a very similar message to the one that he gave um, to the to the woman at the well when he he spoke of the living water. And she said, please give me this living water. Um, and so we learned about that. And in the coming weeks, we're going to learn about Jesus being the bread of life. So can I encourage you after this service, once we've once we've learned what God wants us to learn from these first 15 verses, can I encourage you to go and read the rest of John chapter 6? Because it's it's fairly it's fairly lengthy, it's fairly complicated, but really it's a full story. Um, and so what we're reading um, this morning is just a part of something else that's going on. Um, and so the good thing about uh, about that this morning is that actually this is going to be quite a, a short sermon um, because we're going to talk a lot about what these these 15 verses tell us but really the whole story is wrapped up in all of chapter 6 the, the significance of the Passover festival that it was and really the reality of who Jesus was and um, who Jesus is uh, being the bread of life and so in the coming weeks we're going to learn more about that so please do read chapter 6 for yourselves after this but let's spend some time um, learning what John wants us to learn from these first 15 verses this is what we read Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee that is the Sea of Tiberias and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Now this is becoming a quite a common theme in the, the book of John, uh, where Jesus is followed by crowds. Um, and we spoke not too long ago, um, just a few weeks ago, when we were looking at the, the healing um, of the official son and the healing at the pool. Uh, and Jesus challenged those crowds that were following them that were following him and his disciples, he challenged them what for what the reason was that they were following him. Did they just want to see some cool things? Did they just want to see some miracles? Uh, were they just a bit intrigued? Did they want to be able to say, I saw Jesus in the flesh and I saw him do some great things? Um, or were they following him because of who he is? 
And really the book of John, as we've been looking at and as we keep emphasising over and over and over again, the book of John is very intentionally written so that we can see who Jesus is. And last week Stuart spoke to us of the authority of the Son. Um, and it's getting to the point, um, and really it has for the last couple of chapters, it's getting to the point where we can see that there are two kinds of people. There are people who just want to be around, people who just want to see what's going on. And there are people who really get it. There are people who understand who Jesus is. And what we're told is that this great crowd of people had followed Jesus because they seen the things that he was doing. Um, and so this group, this huge thousands of people, this group of so many people will have been filled with a whole mixture of people who were genuinely intrigued by who Jesus was, people who really wanted to, to know more and people who wanted to put their faith in him. Um, but then there were also a huge amount of people who just wanted to see some great things. Um, but regardless, what we read is that Jesus sat down with his disciples. Now, this um, this miracle is told four different times in all four of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, and they all tell us something just a little bit different from four different points of view. Um, but the book of Mark, if we if we go over to the book of Mark and read this same story, um, it tells us that Jesus had taken this opportunity to teach them. So this great crowd had all gathered and had followed Jesus um, and Jesus and his disciples because they wanted more. We want more Jesus. We want more. And so Jesus had taken the opportunity um, to teach to them. And so as time went on and hunger set in, Jesus used this chance, having taught the crowd, to now teach his disciples. So they, these two separate groups um, are the two, the makeup uh, of, a, of our passage today. There's the crowd and Jesus' message to the crowd, and there's the disciples and Jesus' message to his disciples. And so we're going we're gonna to look mostly um, at the, the teaching that Jesus has for his disciples, Jesus has for his followers. Uh, and we're going to think about how that applies to Christians today, how that applies to us who are seeking to live for him, who are seeking um, to be disciples of Jesus. Um, but there's also a hugely important message for those crowds and for those people who haven't made a decision as to who Jesus is to them yet. Um, and if that's you, can I encourage you to just keep looking at who Jesus is and have a look and see what he does, see who he proves himself to be, um, because the entirety of the book of John is all about who Jesus is and why he is worth believing in. I want us to, to just remember again very quickly um, what we read last week, chapter 5, um, verses, uh, verse 20 and 21. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And so the lesson uh, for the crowd is the same as it has been in all of these chapters in the book of John leading up to this passage and will continue to be in the coming chapters. That message is look beyond the things that Jesus is doing. Look that beyond those things and see who he is. Because the person and the works of Jesus Christ require actions. 
just looking on with interest is not enough. And this crowd, the majority of them, 5,000 men, which means there was probably 10, maybe 15,000 people altogether, including women and children. For the majority of this crowd, they just want to see what's going on. And the message is look beyond the things that he is doing and look at who Jesus is. And so just before we get to the, the point of reading of this incredible miracle where Jesus feeds all of these people with so little, let's just consider to ourselves again that the great crowd of people following him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing those who were ill. Let's just take a minute to acknowledge the fact that John, in writing this book, is repeatedly pointing out the difference between obedience and interest. Because swathes of people followed him all the way to the hillside. That's an incredible journey and it's an incredible thing to do. But that itself is not obedience. That itself does not save them. General interest does not save. And I think that what John wants us to, to acknowledge and to, to, to make a change in our lives, to make sure that we take the necessary step from general interest to complete obedience. Because the Christian life is not general interest. It's about obedience. It's about acknowledging and saying with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is deserving of our entire lives. Rocking up to church once a week is not the same thing as daily picking up our crosses to follow him. And so I think it's really important for us to acknowledge the point that John is making, that there is a difference between obedience and just general interest. Let's read it. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. You know what it's like, surely, when life is all good. You're just trundling along. You're just sat on the hillside. You're sitting with Jesus, you're hearing all of his great teaching and then suddenly you've got to cater for thousands of people. I'm sure that we all know exactly what that's like. Philip's response is absolutely the response that I would have. I'm sure most of us would have. And in fact, that's the response that most of us do have when difficult things suddenly come into our lives, when trials suddenly appear. Philip's response to the sudden news that he has to be a mass caterer is, well, how, how do I do that? It costs six months wages. It can't be done. It's going to bankrupt me. It's not even physically possible, never mind financially. I'm, I almost feel like in reading this, I can see the response happening inside Philip's head, the cogs turning, the realisation, eyes getting wider. How, how, Jesus, how am I supposed to do this? I'm sure that we all know that anxiety and stress 
of being thrown in the deep end, of a situation in life suddenly rearing its head, suddenly appearing, whether that's, that's illness, whether that's a breakdown of a, a relationship, whether it's financial concerns. There's a whole number of things that just seem to appear out of nowhere, just as life is trundling along and we're just, we're getting on with it and we're happy and we're fine and then suddenly this thing appears and suddenly we're in the deep end without armbands. Well, this is what the Bible tells us about those anxieties, those stresses, those moments of not being prepared. This is what it says. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And 1 Peter 5 and 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What does the Bible tell us when, when those moments of panic and anxiety and stress and difficulty and trial set in? Turn to him. Look to him. Give it to him. That's what we're told to do. How often do we do what Philip did? And instead of saying, okay, I need you to do this for me, Jesus. I need you to do this for me, God. What we do is we say, I can't handle this. What am I going to do? This will bankrupt me. What Philip learned was that Jesus is right there. After the panic and the stress, he is right there. Jesus, who is God, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one who was there at the beginning, he is there next to you right now. After the panic and the stress, he is there. That was true for Philip then, in this moment of panic and stress and anxiety and trial. And it's true for you as a Christian. Jesus is right there. God is right there. Cast all your anxieties on him. Do not be anxious about anything, but present your request to God. Jesus is right there. Once Philip has had his little moment of panic and worry and thinking about what his bank balance is going to look like at the end of this, or just even is, is there any way physically, is it possible to cater for this many people? Even McDonald's would struggle with this kind of demand. Once Philip's had all of those thoughts, Jesus is there. And I think that the lesson for followers of Jesus and reading this is let's bypass the panic let's bypass the stress and the anxiety let's go to him first rather than being like Philip and getting stressed and weighed down and concerned and bothered and worked up when the trials of life come to us when these when these situations appear in our lives when we realize that we are in real trouble Let's go first and form, foremost to our Father God. Let's go first and foremost to our, our friend Jesus. Let's bypass the panic stage. Let's bypass the I'm not sure what's going to happen stage. And let's go straight to the I know that I have a God who has all things in, in mind and all things in control. Because remember what 
what John told us. When Jesus looked up, saw a great crowd, he said, where are we going to get the bread to eat? Verse 6 said, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. That's the God that we are in relationship with. That's the saviour that we know. One who already knows what our lives look like. One who already knows what he is going to do in our trials and in our tribulations and in our stresses and worries and anxieties. So let's bypass the panic. Let's bypass the anxiety and stress and worry. And let's go to him first. And so that makes sound like I'm just saying that um, in, in a way that suggests that that's an easy thing to do. Because how do we respond first and foremost with and I'm going to take this to my God. I'm going to take this to my Savior. The way that we do that is by getting into a habit of trusting in him. That we get into a habit of living with him. That we get into a habit of waking up every morning and going to bed every night. Knowing, not turning to him only when, when, um, when things are going wrong and when it feels like we're drowning. But every morning when we wake up, we say, God, this is your day. And when we go to bed, we say, Father God, thank you for this day. When we wake up and we ask him to, to lead us and guide us and show us his goodness in the day, his grace. What we don't do is we don't just ignore him until those trials, those difficult times come. We don't just ignore him until it feels like we're drowning and we don't have those armbands. We walk with him every day. Those panics, those stresses, those anxieties, those worries, they won't feel as present. I can guarantee you that when you're walking with Jesus every day, when you're spending time in his word, when you're delighting in the grace and the goodness of the gospel, when you're spending time in prayer with him. And what that does is it creates a habit within us. It means that when the difficulties of life do come, we're ready for them. We know what to do. Our first port of call is our Father God. So let's get into the habit of turning to him all the time, not just when things are going wrong. Let's get into a habit of living daily lives with our God reading from, from verse 8, having just read um, Jesus' um, little dialogue with Philip. It says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will this go among so many? And Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. What we see there is just another example from the book of John about who Jesus is. This is no trick. This is no illusion. This is quite simply the work of the Son of God. This is the work of one who is not bound by nature. 
and being able to take just five small little bread rolls and two very small fish, Jesus is able to feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. This is who Jesus is. Let's not forget who Jesus is in reading this story. But I want us to look as well at the way that Jesus brings his disciples into the story. I want us to look at the way that Jesus made his disciples face this challenge with him. Let's not be under any illusions. Verse 6 told us that Jesus asked Philip so that he could test him. He asked Philip, where are we going to find the bread for these people to eat? Jesus already knew exactly what he was going to do. And Jesus didn't need Philip. Jesus didn't need Andrew. He didn't even need that small boy. Jesus could, with the power of God that he has in his nature, Jesus could have satiated and filled those people up in an instant. But what Jesus does is he brings his disciples into the story. He brings his followers into the story. He makes them face this challenge with him. He made them face the crowd and be part of the work to feed them. He tested them and he involved them. And that's what the Christian life is. Because we have a God who can do whatever he wants at any moment. He really doesn't need us in any shape or form. And yet here we see our God brings us in to his ministry, to his work. That's the Christian life, to being to being involved with God and what he is doing in the world. That is incredible news. That is such good news because Jesus doesn't need humans to show that he can feed people. God doesn't need us as humans to show his goodness and his grace and his power. And yet what we read here is him doing exactly that. And this is the, the good grace of God, that when there's work to be done, Jesus involves his disciples. God involves us as followers of Jesus. We have a role to play way ahead in chapter 17 from verse 18 of the book of John. Jesus prays to the Lord and he says these words just before he's arrested. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Talking about his disciples. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that's Christians today. That all of them may be one father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be as one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Those verses tell us something incredible about what our lives are supposed to look like as Christians now, that Jesus has specifically prayed for us and our unity with him. That Jesus has specifically prayed that we would be used by God to make him known. And that's what we're seeing in this, 
this story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus could in an instant fill these people's hungers. But he uses the opportunity to put his followers, to put his disciples to work. He makes them face this challenge with them. He made them face this crowd and be part of the work to feed them. He tested them and he involved them and that is the Christian life. And we have a tendency to think that that's an intimidating or a scary thing. But what it really is, is just good grace from our good, good God. There's no sneaking away. There's no leaving it to some to someone else. The Christian life is not a call to an easy ride. In fact, we are called to work, to serve, to evangelise. And what this passage in John chapter 6 is, is, is showing us that we do it alongside our God. He doesn't say, go and feed them. I'll be over here. Yes, he does test us like Philip was tested and we've seen Philip's reaction and we know how to respond when we're tested like that. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus wants to work alongside us in our world to make him known, to make the gospel known, to make it known that God sent his son to die for the world. And that is something that every single one of us is involved with. And that's such good news. And it might be scary initially, but it is such good news. The big message for Christians this morning is that God wants to use you. Too often, however, we don't believe that that's true. Because sometimes we just, we don't really believe that the gospel is true. We don't believe what the Bible says is true about ourselves. Because although we do believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, sometimes we really struggle to see why. Sometimes we really struggle to live like that's the truth. Jesus has prayed that in unity, we and the Father will be at work in the world. That we and our God will be at work in the world. And we think that actually... God doesn't really want to work with us because we're too sinful. And that's why it's so important for us to live in the freedom of the gospel. Look at these verses. Just a couple of chapters from now, John 8, verse 38. Jesus says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He doesn't say if the Son sets you free. If you've been saved, then you're saved until you mess up. You're free once and for all. Galatians 5 and 1 tells us this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's so important for us as Christians to get it into our heads that we have been set free from sin. And that grace is just staggering. We're so undeserving of that and yet... God pours out his mercy and his goodness and his grace on us. And he does that so that we can be at work with him in our world. This is a, a quote from Dane Ortland in, in his book, um, Gentle and Lowly. He says, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. 
God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed, not frugal, but lavish, not poor, but rich. And so once we understand and once we get our heads around the fact that we've been set free so that we can be at work in our world, then we can start living in the reality of it. We will see ourselves as partners in God's in God's mission. What we read in chapter 17 was Jesus praying for you and for me that we'll, we will be at work in our world, making sure that people hear this good news, this gospel. This right here, what's happening here, church on a Sunday morning for an hour, this isn't the end result of what our faith should be. Sunday church isn't the time when our faith comes out and then it hides away again. This is the place where you get fed, where we get encouraged, where we get challenged, where we get excited. And then we go out and we live it out for six days and 23 hours and then come back again for more. If your faith is restricted to non-existence, until this time on a sun Sunday morning, and then it comes out for an hour and then it slinks away again, then you're missing the point of the gospel. We have been set free to do good works in Christ. We've been set free so that we can be in unity at work in our world with our Saviour. Christian life is not a call to an easy ride. It's not a call to just giving up an hour on a Sunday morning. This hour is where we get excited and energised and challenged about how we're living so that we go into our world and we live it out. Jesus is not calling us to just giving up an hour in a week. He is calling us to action, to work. He's putting us to work just like he did with those disciples, just like he did with that young boy. You might be wondering, well, what does Jesus want me to do? Jesus is calling us to share the gospel, to tell people that he died for them. He's also calling us to serve God in so many ways. He's calling us to hospitality, inviting people into our homes and showing them Christian love. He's inviting us to encouragement, to reaching out to other Christians, to other people, to tell them about the goodness of the gospel. He's calling us to wisdom. He's calling us to find what our gifts are and to put them to use. I really hope this morning that you've been encouraged by this message that as Christians, we are called to work. We are called to serve, to evangelize, to be hospitable, to be encouraging, to show wisdom. All of these things we do alongside our saviour. Please do not allow your Christian life to be limited to one hour on a Sunday. That's not what we're called to do. This hour should be the time when we're encouraged and excited reading from God's word. So can I encourage you this week to think about how is Jesus putting you to work this week? Who are the people in your life that need to hear the gospel? Who are the people in your life that you can serve, that you can minister to? 
that you can show the love of God to. It's incredible grace that we have been saved from our sins. That, that alone is more than enough. And yet, on top of that, in his grace, God puts us to work. Let's ask God what the work is that he has for us this week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the incredible news of the gospel. We thank you for the amazing truth that the Son of God came into this world and died for sinners. We thank you for the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that we can see that he is your Son, that he is fully God, and that he died for us. Father God, I pray that the news of the gospel will set us free. has set us free from sin. I pray that it will set us free from this idea that we're not good enough, that we don't match up. Help us to live in the freedom and the goodness of the gospel, Father God. And I pray that you will put us to work as your followers. In unity with you, put us to work. Amen.